Hey, this is Josh from Art of Attrition. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Anatomy Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Cross, on over on the Sean Cross YouTube channel. Um, today we are doing yet again another episode, and we are hopping back up to Canada, which is really really cool. We always love talking with our buddies up in the well above, you know, country per se. Um, and you know all of the people we've had the opportunity to collaborate with so far up there that mainly being Alex Savanier of Alex Savanier Audio he's been an absolute help and more or less shout out to him because if it was not for him I would have not have checked out this band Art of Attrition their most recent full length album um in the first place and I mean yeah shout out to him because after listening to that album that is how this whole podcast opportunity, this inquiry started in the first place. Um, really solid music that these guys have been writing. And uh, yeah, welcome Art of Attrition. If everybody could introduce themselves, just name and uh, their role in the band. And then we can go ahead and dive into the first half of the podcast. Hey there, this is Greg and I play the drums. Jack, I play guitar. Josh, I play the singing. <laughs> lovely to meet you all and again thank we'll, you for we'll your also time add, jack also does the orchestrations and the bass Jordan oh badass yeah. as well sweet yeah and i think i remember that even being in the description of the uh the slam worldwide album stream upload so definitely good thing that you reminded me of that again because i i would have absolutely lost train um i would have absolutely lost track of that important detail but uh Again, thank you, gentlemen, for deciding to stop by. And uh, I heard about the adventure that was going on for you guys, some of you to even get into this uh, casting couch room and participate in this session with how good <laughs> it is up there right now. So <laughs> much appreciated for you guys risking your neck. Just like, we got to get this podcast, just like actually getting through what could be very severe weather compared to down here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee with us. Well, I don't know, not getting anything. And most of the uh, the North in general of the u.s getting plenty plenty of snow and even like blizzardous conditions i've I've been hearing like participating in weather uh youtube channels and shit like it, it's crazy so um thank you guys for uh going on an adventure and kind of risking your tails to uh, get this podcast session done but today um as everybody who has listened to our 45 prior episodes now with a couple in storage but they will be uploading soon featuring the human tragedy returning um dead awake for the first time with dylan and another session um that being with shit i lost track but you know that's that's there's so many episodes um thank you guys for stopping by and let's go ahead and deep dive head first into the background um of you guys as people and everything you feel is relevant as a musician and on your journey as far as getting into art of attrition. Anybody may start off, um, basically just go as early as you wish and uh, take as much time as you need. But, you know, with the hour increment and stuff in the in mind, um, let's learn as much about you boys as we possibly can this hour. Cool. Yeah. Um I mean, for me, this is my first metal project. So this has been like a huge learning experience for me. So that's been really cool. 
Um, been a lot of fun so far. So yeah, I'm really, really liking that. Do you want to talk about the origin, Jack? So you guys basically created this. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Johnny and I met a while ago and uh, had similar tastes in music. And, you know, I was a bass player back then playing rock and roll, but that was too boring for me. One of the challenge. So I ended up learning guitar and just went straight to an eight string. Just <laughs> double or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we had a little, uh, you know, jam sessions here, there, just, you know, learning the eight string guitar together and, you know, came up with uh, a couple of riffs that we both liked and, you know, similar styles, similar bands that we liked and, you know, figured we'd take her a little farther and, you know, find a drummer. And I remember playing bass for a show or two with one of Greg's old bands back in the day and uh, reached out to him. And that's kind of how this all got started. Sweet. And uh, didn't really start until the start of the pandemic. So we're a pandemic band. Pandemic band. Let's go. We got another one on the podcast, baby. <laughs> so um, if anything, amongst you gentlemen, I would then want to ask, who has like the earliest uh, recollections, like maybe the earliest point uh, in their lives as far as getting into music and getting into playing other local bands, participating in other local projects um, before they ended up contributing and building up to what would be Art of Attrition? Um, who is the founding member? Uh, I would say it'd be Johnny and myself got her going. Um, what would we be? 2020? Is that when we started doing this? So something like that. Yeah, yeah that is dirty. pandemic time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. um, let's see. In that case, with you two being the founding members and stuff, uh, and you you mentioned already that you and Johnny ended up having other projects that you were participating in before. Um, what were those projects like? What what made them kind of separate themselves from? art of attrition style whether it be john radically speaking or maybe the general atmosphere like what ended up being the big difference between those previous projects um how did they get started all that fun stuff and how did uh art of attrition end up getting decided upon uh ahead of those in place of those yeah like i mean i was i was playing bass in uh in a rock band for a while and yeah, it was a completely different type of music but it was just from you know, buddies from high school. So grew out of that. And then there was a sludge band after that and just still on the bass. But, you know, I was listening to other stuff, but just playing in friends bands just to have, you know, a good time, be a part of something. But yeah, that kind of, that was kind of the fall or the uh, lead up to how Art of Attrition became, you know, its own thing, playing the music that we were listening to and wanted to play. <laughs> Yeah, and I was kind of the same, just random high school band projects and stuff like that. Nothing really that ever went anywhere. And I think we just ended up meeting kind of through friends in the music scene. And then, yeah, I think you literally just messaged me one day. I was like, yeah, I want to try this band thing. I was like, okay, yeah, let's give it a shot. Sweet. Yeah. And like with you guys mentioning that this ended up being a pandemic project, you know, a band that ended up getting really started because you guys had the time and everybody will had more than enough time on their hands to attend to uh, various creative mediums they weren't able to before, or at least not as much. Um, are you guys pretty spread out across the uh, the 
um the canadian like you know canada and shit like are you guys in different cities are you guys like three hours apart in total like how how much does it spread for art of attrition across canada well right now i think josh you're furthest away here what hour hour and a half the roads are real bad yeah about an hour and a half yeah up in edmonton and then uh the rest of the guys they live down here in red deer okay. which is where we all currently are because we were playing here last night yep. so we had woke up had a nice little brunch little podcast time <laughs> yeah Greg's a really good job casting couch <laughs> casting couch yes sir <laughs> um let's see let's see but, okay, so like with Art of Attrition then, you know, you guys kind of get that assembled um, and you guys got the founding members and stuff. How did the other two end up getting involved into the picture? You said like you guys just ended up meeting online and talking as friends and stuff and had a similar taste in music. Like, Well, we had to come down to this very couch. <laughs> <laughs> it was a process. Yeah. They had a strip. <laughs> so that is the casting couch okay i understand now. <laughs> we're looking for a bass player <laughs> bass and drums is usually the last piece i'm understanding it's like yeah we could we could use a bassist uh, go ahead and hop on you know <laughs> no that's great um so obviously you guys have a collective understanding for what you want to make for art of attrition, which is more or less like black and death core, black and symphonic death core um, with like very, very heavy uh, as I was listening to your latest album, um, very much some symphonic elements in there too. Some, um, some like almost electronic elements, which I thought was really interesting and it does help distinguish art of attrition from uh even other bands in uh canada really that i listen to on the regular that being angel maker carcosa uh, uh brian to sacrifice even nihilist um all these like heavy heavy fucking projects and i noticed that with art of attrition like sure you have the black and symphonic label but there's um there's plenty of like electronic elements in there too so um, what do you guys like on your own? What do you guys end up listening to? What are some of your like favorite artists, albums that to date that um really have helped you forge your sound and forge what you contribute to Art of Attrition? Uh, I think like when we were writing The Void Eternal, I was listening to a lot of Arcspire and Slipknot and Belphegor. So I kind of put all of those influences into that album and the so the special thing to me about this album is that um i do one of the kind of like one of the hardest things in metal drumming which is the left hand gravity blast with the right hand yes. um accents like uh not a lot of bands in canada can can do that except for arcspire that, that I know of. So that was really cool to bring to the table and to kind of like include into the songs. Um, yeah, and then all the symphonic parts really add to the atmosphere and then all the chunky riffs, you know, it's good. It kind of breaks it up, the monotony of your typical black and death core, you know, because it kind of just gets almost tonal sometimes. Yes. Um, and so just being able to switch back and forth and to have a song without it and then have a song with it and then to you know kind of have different tempos in the songs really helps us break up the you know monotony of the barrage of sound because that's what it is like right you know only listen to that kind of stuff for so long before it just kind of is like a mashed potato 
<laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Like blast beats are are fun. They're really good for like bass heads and shit. Maybe people who first when they were getting into music in general were more or less getting into EDM. They were getting into dubstep. They were enjoying the the very very repetitive bass drops from all of these millions of artists who were <laughs> rocking the charts at Lollapalooza or um Tomorrowland and shit back in the day. Like mainly 2012 to 2014 or 15 i would say that's kind of like when that genre peaked and you know i i allude to my my own musical journey really um because that's what i started out with i was a bass head and that's why i plan to be a bassist but we'll see if that actually fucking happens um because you know it, it's fun as it's really really fun but when you've only been in like intermediate guitar and that's like the farthest you went you really you didn't really do any music theory you know a couple songs but you're not familiar with recording DAWs or maybe you know um you're not familiar with like bridging that gap between playing an instrument and then channeling it into a DAW it's like that's really the only wall there right now but um absolutely dude like the bass and the drums have always been like my favorite part of a band when it when it's not the vocals um and like guitar of course you got to shred you got to add those solos in there you got to add another voice that happens to not be a human voice but it's always been like gritty uh varials or even kublai khan just like hardcore gritty fucking sludgy muddy bass and then if you got a solid drum if you got a solid drummer better term then you really got an interesting formula going on with what is supposed to be one of the heaviest, but newly the most marketable or at least, you know, a genre that's becoming more marketable with Titans like Lorna Shore or Brand of Sacrifice kind of taking the reins and, and bringing that genre into the forefront of music. Like even um, Revolver and shit are talking about bands like Lorna Shore now, and it's been really, really cool. Um, so if anything, Greg, whilst we're talking about the chops, while we're talking about your drumming efforts and what you ended up, um, cranking for this album, cause it sounded absolutely fantastic, especially with my, uh, my skull crusher, um, skull candy crusher wireless headphones, which are just absolutely mobile subwoofers. If anybody wants that, like crushers are to go to really, they're just a little bit pricey. So it's an investment, but it's a worthy investment. Um, Greg, I wanted to go ahead and ask you, inquire upon um, how you ended up getting into drums. Uh, when I was younger, uh, I had a tapping problem and I was always tapping on stuff. And so my parents bought me a Pearl, Pearl kit. And then from there, I kind of just, you know, I picked it up pretty quick. I was a natural, um, you know, I do ACDC kind of stuff. And then I, my best friend, Levi, he got a, you know, one of those beginner Fender guitars and a amp. And then we kind of just, that's how my musical journey started with drums. And then I started getting to metal about probably 12, 13 years old. I was in my living room and I was looking through my dad's CD, CD case and I seen this black album with a snake on it. And I was like, oh, what's what? Yeah. I plugged it into the CD and, you know, Metallica came on and then I was like, holy, like, you know, if you, it was a pretty powerful experience. And then from there, I asked my dad, I was like, okay, well, can you show me more of this kind of stuff? And he's like, okay, yeah. And then from there, um, I remember one summer, I think it was grade nine. Um, so this would have been like 2006. 
that's when Lamb of God's Ashes of the Wake came out. And, uh, you know, Mark Morton and Willie Adler had a spread on, uh, I think it was Guitar World at the time for Laid to Rest. So they, yeah, they released it in the, the springtime and then they were on that. And Levi picked up it, picked up that um, magazine and album. And then I remember him getting home and he called me. He's like, we got to hang out this weekend. I got to show you something. And then he came to the house and list, and then he's like, listen to this. And then like laid to rest, hourglass. Now you got something to die for, the faded line, all that, all those. And then from there, you know, we just started exploring through Revolver magazine and all those like, you know, hard music magazines. And we started finding bands, um, you know, Black Dahlia Murder and Mastodon and Soil Work. And, uh, and then eventually, we, you know, we started getting into the even heavier stuff like Cannibal Corpse yeah. and, um, you know, like the black metal, Demi, like Demi Borgir and Septic Flesh. And um, yeah, then, then we started our own band Catharsis in high school. And then it was before the unseen. And then after that, it was awake in the abstract, which Jack played uh, with us for a little bit. And then after that, yeah, I kind of took a hiatus on the drums and went to work on the pipeline. Okay. And then I remember I was still kind of playing music with this band called the Similis. And um, we played a show in, or no, was this, I think actually it was the Similis. And then we went, and then we went back to Awaken the Abstract and we played a show with Arcspire. And oh, shit. I remember, I remember that uh, it was their All Shall Line tour. So they released All Shall Line and they were doing a Across Canada. Um, and I had no idea what was about to happen. You know, um, yeah, they played their music and I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, it's so crazy. I was watching Spencer Pruitt. I was like, holy cow, like this guy is just wild. And uh, from that day, I was like, I got to do that. Like, I got to yeah. learn to do that. And then, um, and then I started listening to Origin and then John Longstreth with his uh, heel toe kind of stuff. And then I was like, okay, well, I got to fucking learn how to do that. Because, like, you know, doing single strokes, you know, it was difficult at the time because you could only go so fast, um, you know, if you didn't have the, the grit and determination to get, you know, super fast singles. And then I, spent a lot of time i think i was spending three hours a day trying to learn it and then yeah and then my uh my other band plague bringer is uh i i joined that band and um from there i learned a lot about just like composition and I how to like compose the music and then i've been with them for about six years and then jack asked sent me some songs and he was like hey like would you consider doing some drumming and i was like yeah yeah i'll give it a go and then yeah it just like we were rehearsing and it just clicked and then we were all like when we're in the room together we write really well and then yeah we spent i think a year and a half writing the void eternal Sweet. and then we recorded with our good friend diego uh from oracle studios who is an amazing person and he's like he really gets the best out of you um and then yeah then we released it did the music video and then the lyric video and yeah 
that's kind of here we are yeah, today like, yeah last night i think was our our fourth show we've ever played yeah. and we headlined last night so it was really sweet really cool. no that's yeah. actually really cool if anything too um real quick i would want to ask you like what is your favorite thing about drumming period uh it's just very it, it sounds counter counter to what you hear but it's it's kind of, it's relaxing mm. i don't no. know I, I think uh like drummers will understand like it's just a night it's like a it's just it's nice to be behind the kit and just kind of you know just work on stuff you know um you get to if you're if you're really if you're really passionate about it it doesn't matter what you're doing um yeah. but like yeah like the sense like if you get something like for example like you know if you've been working at a song and you know you you know you're struggling but then you know a couple weeks later you finally nail the part you know that's always that's always really good and yeah that's my favorite part is just like it's it's a nice safe space for me i guess yeah. And I mean, being a drummer, man, you have to be in really good physical shape too. I would imagine to be able to play the drums like you do, like there's not been, except for maybe uh silent planets drummer. Um, I haven't really seen any other drummer who is like as ripped as they are because they're like having to be so relentless and so like consistent and like, dude, their legs and everything are just ripped to shreds. I'm like, yo, dude, what the fuck? Like, maybe I need to get into drums. Maybe that's the, that's maybe that's <laughs> yeah. the way I turn into one of these celebrities is just like learning to smack the kit and just like having a consistency, a pattern to it. Cause that is, it's, it's really the heartbeat of the band. Once you hear that drum kit, once you hear those certain blast beats, those certain patterns. And of course, like you fine tune to the music that you're creating. Right. And you like end up becoming one with the music and especially if you're working with the right people if you're working with your friends your brothers that sense of camaraderie and that sense of resonance really like you all become one for a second and that's kind of like what the anatomy podcast is it's like really just dissecting like what how um how who when why where all that shit as far as like all the major components of this one thing this band this project this collective effort that is our attrition um but absolutely for starters greg thank you for um providing us insight on your background as a drummer how you got into drum drumming your inspirations and stuff um and yeah how you do everything that you've done so far for art of attrition which is really good project and again i'm happy to have you guys on the podcast it's really cool um so next i guess um because everybody wants to know about this everybody still has that frontman syndrome to like no matter how much time passes josh <laughs> same same name as my best friend my uh my actual twin not legally speaking but he's only 15 minutes older than me um really cool to be oh. having another josh on the podcast um I would love to go ahead and deep dive into your background as a frontman, how you got into vocals, um, the various projects that you participated in, very similar fashion to what Greg ended up explaining to us just now concerning his drumming background. Um, and yeah, tell us your story, man. We want to hear it. I think we could do that. Uh, I also played bass first. I right. played uh, bass band in Victoria for... Uh couple of years uh, before that i actually was pretty big into like concert band and jazz band i played uh trombone and tuba for a while 
um, had a lot of, a lot of hot air, I guess. So it kind of lends itself to singing this kind of singing. So, right. Um, yeah, I, uh, eventually moved up to Prince George and joined a band up there and then planning at a festival, uh, sorry, they're called the uh, Seraphic Nihilist. And, uh, I played with them at a festival outside of Prince George called Metallion Fest which is no longer happening, unfortunately. Um, there were a couple of good years there, though. And while I was there playing with them, I met the guys in Proto Sequence, which is the other band I currently sing in, and decided that I would move to Edmonton to join Proto Sequence. So following that, we uh, also recorded Diego. I don't know if you talk to any bands in Western canada like 90 percent of them know diego and have had you know music mixed and mastered by him and he is every bit as phenomenal as he is described as he is excellent at what he does and he's a really really great guy so if you're ever in the market just going to shamelessly plug Diego (laughs) (laughs) absolutely man you gotta you gotta represent who's like behind the mixing the final product of what you guys have done so far so absolutely man shout out to diego of oracle studios yeah. Um, and then at some point in uh, 2020, I guess, I can't remember. It might have even been, was it either Greg reached out to me or it might have even been Diego mentioned that there was uh, a Deathcore project that was starting to kind of get together and they're looking for vocals. And then eventually, I think Jack sent me a few demos and I was working out of town in camp doing a 14 and 14 thing. So, you know, being in camp working when you're not actually at site working and you're in the camp just hanging out, especially during COVID because everything was pretty much locked down and you're almost confined to your room. I uh, had a lot of time to listen to the tracks and uh, start thinking of some vocal ideas. And then uh, I think that that winter threw something together and sent it to them and they must not have hated it too badly because <laughs> here we are now. <laughs> Here we are now. Exactly. That's, right. Yeah, that's <laughs> really a- cool. Yeah. And the thing is, too, like you're mentioning how you ended up like relocating for like on multiple occasions for different projects. Like that's admirable, man. That's really admirable, admirable and respectable because like just speaking for projects in general, even, you know, with the pandemic in mind and stuff like that, um, um, precursing that it's like, I don't even know that there, there's a lot of devotion behind that. So from the like from early on i can tell you were very uh intent on becoming serious about music and art and what you do for this band and um concerning your bass guitar background cuz obviously not even seasoned bass guitarist over here you know barely learning barely getting into the process whilst also having uh 7 to 8 years now of um self-taught and outsider taught uh, vocal efforts and stuff. Um, what ended up getting you into bass? I think it was playing uh, trombone and tuba. I remember being in the 12th grade and I traded my trombone. I went to the music store and I traded my trombone for a bass guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over band class. We're going to start a punk rock band. And so I made a you know, logical sense, you know, the type of uh, parts you play on a tuba and trombone, a lot more rhythmic and you know, holding down the low end. So that transition made a lot of sense. Just had to figure out how to go from tooting a horn to plucking four strings. <laughs> Have the you horn. ever thought about uh, <laughs> in- 
Have you ever thought about incorporating those uh, previous instruments and um, your knowledge on those into uh, Art of Attrition for future material? We probably should. <laughs> <laughs> I don't That'd think I fun. could. <laughs> yeah dude i think that would be really cool and if if not now with like the the void eternal the material you guys have already provided i think that would be a, a a next step really for the scene is okay so we have like trombone and trumpet now in black and deathcore what the fuck you know have it be black, uh jazz fusion <laughs> exactly dude make it jazzy make it funky make it like very speak easy vibe and then it just flows into a breakdown <laughs> that would be great there there are bands too that i've uh interviewed previously that being um nail splitter i forgot what they're based in because it's actually been years since i hosted them on the podcast but um they had their their first ep hail to agony and all I know is I think they are planning on incorporating sax into like deathcore slash um like you know the the genreatic blend of music that they're planning to do and uh, mainly because of bands like Rivers of Nile, um because apparently they do that type of thing with their music they incorporate trombone um no not trombone saxophone into their music and I'm like god damn that is a good next step for just music in general um so that's really cool and it's really cool to know that um amongst you know all the other talents in this band uh josh that you have that sort of background with like not even just bass guitar even if it was until further notice temporary like um you you had experience with those like outside those very foreign instruments to metal um and i i would be very intrigued to see you know the potential incorporation of those instruments into the music but no pressure absolutely no pressure um or so if anything there you go um so who uh let's see let's see as the vocalist and stuff like do you guys kind of collectively decide upon the uh, the lyrical content uh for art of attrition or is it like you know just the vocalist like who's the main uh um um who's the main captain of the ship when it comes to uh the lyrics that you guys write for your music i take suggestions <laughs> sometimes <laughs> but it's okay cool um let's see in that case uh josh real quick um name a couple like bands or artists that have kind of helped you forge uh your efforts for art of attrition uh this one is going to come from way out in left field okay uh Blunt. <laughs> i'm a really big core blend fan and i think uh listening to i don't know like i i like bits and pieces of country but like more like the older kind of bluegrass typey stuff yes and it's always a good reminder to that like although this type of vocal whatever is it's still kind of screaming and growling like you're still singing and it's important to still incorporate some range and dynamics into yes. that and still remain singing not screaming yeah so that's influence in that and then uh i've been listening to lorna shore for a long time so like I remember, like the, the when the Alliance came out, like Bone Kingdom, that kind of stuff way back when, and Psalms was really good. Like way before even C.J. McCreary was in the band, like back when it was Tom Barber singing. Yeah, I was really big on that. Um, Misery Signals as well was a massive influence. I got into I got into metal really late, 
uh, compared to a lot of people. I think it was uh, a fellow that I worked with at a department store when I was like 18 that showed me Slipknot for the first time. And then I kind of got into metalcore and emo and that stuff. And then I heard Misery Signals on a uh, metalcore playlist. But what was different about it was that my introduction to Misery Signals was the Absent Light album, which was uh, 2013, I think, compared to a typically... Like Controller? Yeah, <clears throat> or uh, Malice and Magnum Heart back then. Right, no, that's um, that's really cool. Yeah, I think those are the top three. Sweet. Yeah, that's that's badass. And to know that you were kind you're like among many others um in the scene that I just have yet to host on the podcast regarding their respective bands. It's really cool to uh have someone who's like an OG Lorna Shore fan. Cause I will wholeheartedly admit that when it comes to the Lorna Shore discography, I really only got engaged with the immortal cycle, you know, after that great Mokulis migration, the great Mokulis vocalist transition between David Simonich, CJ McCreary, and what will be, uh, what would be, uh, Tom Barber, you know what I mean? It was a very strange time. And it was a, it was a massive, just like, I don't even know. It was almost like the, the scene got distorted a bit. And I mean, I've talked with bands like awaken Providence, um, on the podcast about it before shout out to them. Um, because it was just a strange time. It was a strange time for labels like Unique Leader or um, or Outer Loop Records. It was definitely a different time. And only seldomly, I think, back in 2020 or 2019 that I actually go back in time, mainly out of boredom, <laughs> to listen to the older material on Lorna Shore's discography. So I guess like regarding that, because, you know, that that could be a question people would want to ask regarding um the participation from an OG fan. What is your top Lorna Shore song of all time? I think it's gotta be Wretching and Torment for sure. Like just that opening slam riff. It's just it's too good. It's every time I hear it, it just like a, you know. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's fantastic. Uh, no, it's badass. I got from all uh all of their albums, like most of Immortal, I was really big on. And This Is Hell, I thought was excellent. But I think overall, yeah, Wretched and Torment is the, uh, is my favorite. Sweet. Badass. And with that, um, we kind of, you know, kind of wall off that segment. Um, you know, we talked about Josh Hahn's background and everything that he does. Also, I, I gotta say, I gotta say, dude, probably like the richest and most like Canadian accent, I think from anybody that we've had on the podcast before. <laughs> like if I, if I had no knowledge that you guys from, were from Canada, I would even think there's a little bit of Irish in there, but I love it. I love it, dude. It's great. Um, and it adds variety. It adds like spice to the podcast session itself, just to hear these different dialects, hear these different uh, um, um, tones and just like, I don't know, accents from around the world, dude, like Malaysia so far, Australia, Canada. Um, it's been really, really cool. So as we move on and we're trying to as quick as possible conclude what will be the first half of the podcast, Johnny, it's your time, man. So. I want to, you know, dig into your background a little bit because as Greg was mentioning near the beginning of the session, not only are you a guitarist, man, but you also handle the orchestration or the orchestral elements of Art of Attrition. So obviously there's a little bit more to you than meets the eye, my friend. Let's go ahead and dig into it. Tell your story. Um, how did you end up getting into like your first musical instrument? How did you, you know, end up getting into everything the similar way that we've been 
doing and we've addressed with Greg and Josh now. Go ahead and tell us your story, man. Um, I mean, I wanted to play guitar for like as long as I can remember, like way back to being like a little kid. Um, my mom was pretty musical. Um, she made me take a couple years of piano lessons before she buy me a guitar, which was <laughs> kind of a pain, but I really appreciate that now. Um, so yeah, I started, probably started playing guitar when I was 10 or 11. And um, I was really into just like rock and roll back then. Like a lot of the stuff, you know, um, Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, all that kind of stuff. Like I just spent hours with my, you know, beginner Fender Strat set, just jamming that stuff out. Um, I was pretty late to metal, um, same as Josh. I was probably, you know, towards the end of high school before I started hearing bands like, I think August Burns Red, I think was probably an early influence. And uh, just some of that, you know, like the 2009, 2010 kind of metalcore stuff, um, started finding that a little bit later on and it just progressed from there. Um, yeah, like I said before, this is my first metal project that I've been in. Yes. I haven't really played metal with, you know, you know, besides just jamming it on my own. Um, so yeah, this is this is this has been really good. I really like the challenge, um, especially in a genre like the one we chose. I mean, it can tend to be a little uh, oversaturated at times. So I like, you know, trying to find something that's recognizable as you know, deathcore or, or death metal. You know, whatever we're going for, but still being unique and you know finding out what you can still do with this right everyone's kind of going in the same direction which is you know it's it's awesome it's it's you know the, the symphonic thing is is big right now for a reason um because it's great but it's it's also nice to kind of branch out and see what else you can do with it so yes i think we got a big we've already been talking about it big focus on um you know what else can we do with this genre moving forward um can we make it heavier can we make it blacker but can we still give it elements that are going to set it apart from, you know, what you'd maybe find normally in the, in the scene. Yeah. And as someone who's, um, I'll do apologies too, for the misunderstanding on my part, uh, distinguishing between, uh, Johnny and Jack. After all, this is our first time uh, talking all the time. <laughs> There's so many J's. <laughs> no, but, um, I'll, I'll do apologies, Jack, for getting that confused. And, um, we will definitely be covering, um, your story as soon as, um, as soon as we tell Johnny's story, because it's all about telling everybody's story, uh, today with the time that we have. So, I mean, yeah, you, you've been participating in music. You've been doing guitar. You've, uh, you were kind of later to the scene, which, you know, dude, to be honest, I was too like 2012, 2013 with, uh, uh, suicide silence and the cleansing cycle. That's really, really where I started. And it's something that I mention as often as possible. So people can call me a poser if they want, but in reality, it's like, well, I wasn't even allowed to do the swoopy hair. You know, I, I wasn't able to have I was not even able to have that era. Um, it was more like, okay, Tyo Cruz, Dubstep, Cannibal Corpse, and then, yeah. you know, Deathcore and shit. It was a weird time. It was a very weird time, but um, shout out to absolutely all of my friends and who I call family now who uh, got me started on that because this is the result, really, just talking to people around the world. But, um, you know, you got started late, later um, for compared to most musicians in the relative scene, but, um, I mean as a guitarist and shit dude um who are some of your like biggest guitarist influences like as as cliche as the joke is now just milking that who's your favorite it's like also it's important to recognize and acknowledge like who you've um 
in, been inspired by, who you have aspired to um, becoming a musician, because just getting into music, man, becoming a guitarist, becoming a bassist, becoming a drummer, becoming um, the main orchestral influence, for example, like Jack, um, it's like there, there's so much time and effort that goes into it. It's like that those first thousand hours or something, that's when you really devote to it. That's what people um, have said before in time, whether they're, you know, in a smaller band or whether it be Sean clown from Slipknot, like you have to put time into it. So what, what, who were some of the biggest influences for you getting into guitar? What are some like artists or albums you can name um, that have really helped you like devote to wanting to be a guitarist? Yeah, I, my process has always kind of been like, you know, I just, I'd hear a song or even just a part in a song and it would just stand out and I'd have to learn it. Um, I had a lot of phases, man. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I was really into like, um, just all 70s stuff. Like I say, like a lot of Zeppelin, a lot of just old school rock and roll I liked. Um, big love for, for 90s music of all kinds. Um, you know, um, yeah, I just, I don't know if I could really pick out one, one influence, really. I just, you know, music in general, just all of it. There was always something for a different era or a different genre or something that I just, you know, um, connected with. So yeah. I just kind of, something from, something from all of it, really. Yeah. Um, in metal, too, it's hard to, again, still hard to pick one. Um, yeah, I mean... Because there are really so heavy. many of them. <laughs> oh, I know. It's it's hard to find. It's it's a real challenge, I think, for someone to come along and do the next like groundbreaking thing. Because everyone, it's it's kind of like it's already there. Like have we we've kind of maxed out at this point, you know. So it's it's now it's like who can go faster and who can do more <laughs> stuff, right? So it's yeah. I don't I don't know. Yeah, it's just yeah. It's. Uh, yeah, it'd be hard to pick one influence, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, I, I compared to that incredibly well, because like I up to this point, right, it's been 46 or so episodes of the Adobe podcast. And like recalling what I said um, with like my own musical background, starting out with bands like Katy Perry or not really bands, um, but just yeah. musical individuals, Katy Perry, Tayo Cruz, um, yeah. <laughs> Hot Shell Ray. Like I will be absolutely transparent when I admit that that was a phase for a little bit because those were yeah. the, uh, that, that was the environment I was surrounded by. It was like richer, you know, kind of uh, mid above mid uh, tier class school and environment um these kids who pop as oh. under yeah sorry um pop as we understand it to be today um was just like that was when it really started gearing up was back in like the late uh 2000s early two, 2010s so it's nothing compared to going back in time sorry people um seem to be having some mic issues today and this is a sure sm7b like what the fuck um <laughs> what the focus right like come on um no like you end up later in life when you're able to really have an open mind with music 
when you're able to explore different eras, different genres, you find something in all genres as a musician, as you should, that you enjoy. And sometimes I have been in conversations with musicians um, that, you know, like, I don't even know, just musicians in general who don't even listen to metal because like it would then provide, as they call creative pollution, you end up listening to so many different bands that like the music could have a, an annoying and irritating, like uh, uh, infiltration into what you're trying to make. And it's just all these various thought processes and all these various uh, psychscapes and mindsets that end up going into making what you're wanting to make. So I completely understand that. I mean, shit, dude, at this point, I'm a Sinatra fan. I'm a Chris Stapleton fan. I am a Torso Fuck fan. I'm a Mock Luke fan. Um, there are so many bands and artists, so many genres. And then that's not even counting the subgenres. Like way too yeah. much music to digest. So it's it's definitely hard to isolate. And I mean, shit, if anybody has these questions for me one day, like who's your favorite band of all time? Who's your favorite artist? I'm like, okay, okay. Once for one. Let's go ahead and isolate it to a subgenre. Are we talking metalcore? Are we talking slam? Are we talking deathcore, jazz, uh, R&B, hip hop, lo-fi hip hop? It ends up becoming as as you expand, and if you do expand your like just I don't know musical perspective really, and you're wanting to become a musician, you're wanting wanting to create, but you're also Having you feel an obligation instinctfully to try to distinguish yourself from all of these other millions of bands around the world, you then have to explore. You know, you have to keep an open mindset and try out as many genres as you can. And that way, you're not saying, Oh, I listen to everything. And then you get traumatized when someone shows you Infinite Dilator. Like, you actually yeah. have to listen <laughs> to everything and give everything a shot and find your own little artist from those genres. It, it really helps expand. So if anybody, uh, I guess, had that question indirectly, like, huh, how do you create music that helps distinguish from other bands? Just listen to everything. And, you know, don't have that kind of high school mentality like I used to of just, oh, fuck pop, fuck the mainstream, you know, music industry. Because I still do. I still have that. But I'm like, also, Posty is pretty good. I like Post Malone. I just don't listen to him regularly. Or Suicide Boys, like, eh. I then have Exociety, which is like a group of lo-fi hip-hop uh, rappers, Kill Bill the Rapper, or uh, Square, or Sav, all that type of fun stuff. You got to find your own artist in those genres. Anyways, I digress. That ended up being a, a genre and like, keep an open mind rant or some shit. <laughs> so as we're getting ready to wrap up what will be the first half of the podcast, trying to get through this as quickly and efficiently as possible whilst telling you guys the stories. Um, the last one, the last member that we have today in session, which I didn't even realize this, but we have the whole fucking band here in session. I thought there were like at least five or six of you, but that works. That really does work. And this is something <laughs> I mentioned to Greg earlier too. I'm like, man, it's been so long since we've had most of the band on the podcast. Like, no, 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 We have the whole band and therefore badass dudes. Thank you. Jack, Jack Sutherland. We tell your story now. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Take as much time as you wish to, man, because obviously, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, I guess getting into music, uh, I'll start there. I used to grow up on this, uh, well, I grew up on this little farm out in Manitoba, and 
if people don't know what Manitoba is, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's this cold. Don't look it up. Not where. <laughs> cold, wet, miserable province <laughs> in Canada with an offensive amount of mosquitoes. Um, so, you know, I had like this two hour bus ride to get to school when I was like six or seven, whenever that was. And, uh, yeah, my sister was getting into music. My dad had CDs. I got my first uh, Discman little CD player, portable CD player thing, which I still have. Um, don't know what I'm going to do with it. But <laughs> yeah, I was just borrowing CDs from my dad and my sister. And, uh, you know, you know, there was ACDC in there. There was The Who. And then uh, my sister bought the Black Album, which I immediately stole from her. And that was the album that got me right into metal, you know, and then, uh, you know, through the years, you know, uh, dad showed me Iron Maiden, which was a big influence on me getting into bass when I first started, you know, thinking about playing an instrument. Um, and I don't know if this was a, supposed to be a joke or what, but uh, my sister's, you know, I was going through a little bit of a country phase when I was a kid. So she, you know, told me to, you know, check out Job for a Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, jokes on her. I loved it. So them and Lamb of God and Slipknot got me into the heavy stuff. So yeah, you know, um, through the younger days, I was big in playing hockey, and you know, came to a point where, you know, uh, it was either you you keep playing just for fun, or you get to that point where you you know try to play you know professionally and take the next route. And I wasn't. For any of it at that yeah. point so you know quit that and needed another hobby you know give props to my sister again she was learning classical guitar at the time you know you, you pluck with your fingers and whatnot and you know uh i tried willing on that and i was better than her so i decided <laughs> to uh take that up uh, and uh just went straight to bass from there it was the first instrument Throughout the years of high school, you know, you meet some guys and, uh, you know, there's some bands in there, mostly rock. Nobody was playing metal or if they were, it wasn't good. So you know, <laughs> playing bass and rock bands and, you know, that was fun, but I was always still listening to the metal. Um, uh, it came further down the line, you know, I ended up uh, with a buddy from high school, actually, um, and a guy from work. They uh they started this stoner doom sludge band called Haze, and uh, they started as a two piece, but they ended up wanting a bass player, so I came in on that, and that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and then you know eventually that died out, and it was uh, you know I remember being at a buddy's house, and he had this this random eight string guitar sitting in the corner, I was collecting dust, and you know asked him if I could borrow it just to try it out because I was getting into the, you know, the kind of the genty music, like after the burial periphery and that kind of stuff. And, you know, after the burial using eights and nines, I was like, I really like that low twang, you know, from being a bass player. So bro, that thing. And then that kind of just took off from there, figured out how to play guitar from a four string bass to an eight string guitar. Just <laughs> went that route. Double down. Double down. Double down, baby. So, yes. That kind of like started, uh, you know, the forefronts of this band was just kind of, you know, bringing out the eights and liking the low E, drop E tuning. And, you know, a lot of the bands I was listening to a couple of years ago when I was 
first picking up the eight string was like you know like virgin's crown after the burial and that kind of that kind of stuff so uh yeah badass dude and fucking jack over here is like now we don't need a bassist i'll be the bassist and the guitarist like get the fuck out of here (laughs) that that works though it works for the genre and it works for the technical aspect that incorporates well into uh, this band's sound um so yeah i mean that i think that is really a great way to wrap up the story no uh, no not no okay we got to touch up on your orchestral efforts dude (laughs) like how'd you end up getting into that how'd you end up like get on the keyboard and doing what you have done for the art of attrition. Like what's up with that? Uh, Oh shit. I guess I listened to a lot of cradle of filth as a kid, The Godspeed and the devil's thunder album is just a masterpiece. And there's a lot of orchestration there. And, uh, I guess like the bands that were, you know, starting to bring that in other than like, you know, your blackened bands like septic flesh and Demi border was like, you know, Lorna Shore and bands like that, you know, that really brought it in more into the deathcore genre. Yeah. So wanted to try it, see uh see if it would give an extra element, mostly to cover up my terrible playing. <laughs> um, it's a great distraction. Yeah, like it really really helps the mix. But, uh, I had uh, no clue what I was doing. Thankfully, Johnny is more well versed in the musical theory, so he. I guess shout out to my mom for making me take piano lessons and listen to a lot of classical music as a kid. Yeah, there you go. Shout <laughs> out to mom. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so we we uh, tag teamed the orchestration for the record, and you know it was. <laughs> yeah. I see you, Greg. <laughs> Big uh, extra presence in the mix, and we're. Uh, Looking into finding some new stuff to try instead of the classic, you know, orchestration kind of style. Maybe yeah, get man. some synth there. I can definitely, I can definitely daydream about like interlude tracks where it's just like absolutely out of left field, just kind of speakeasy vibes. Like I was mentioning before, I think that would be uh, really interesting. Like how you guys could figure out that type of stuff and just incorporating more classical elements and more orchestral elements, like even more than now, which is crazy to think about. And like, you know, like, uh, like Johnny said before, it's like, it's all about who can like peak and just really bring stuff more into the genre and who can do this next or who can do a tremolo solo like Adam D'Amico. And then there's like a saxophone in the background somehow, <laughs> you know, that, that type of shit really is helping shape the genre. And it's because people are like, okay, so this thing has already been done just like sampling and like sprinkling a little bit of choir and orchestra in there. What about bringing some fucking horns in, bro? <laughs> like yeah. that's 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 kind of like how music goes, and that's how it evolves. And if if nothing else, despite uh, my old man um, not really being in touch with modern music, and you know not really understanding um, the music that I was ever into, period, even getting into uh, recently, like the last two years, there's one thing that he said that does prevail, and that's that music changes. The scene changes. What's big changes. So it's like you got to keep that momentum for an overall genre. Otherwise, unfortunately, you have OG fans. You have fans that, you know, kind of gatekeep the older material maybe. 
And then after that, they're like, I liked when Lorna Shore was immortal. Who the fuck is Will Ramos? Because they, you know, they don't know anything about Awakened Providence or something. So they're like, oh, and like, why is this death metal? Why isn't it just straight MySpace 2000 Deathcore? Oh, I hate it. You know, all this <laughs> other shit. It, it's, you know, you have those people, but then obviously you then open up the gates to a new fan base, a new listening audience, maybe even professional vocal coaches or people who have been participating in choirs and orchestra for years. You got them checking out their shit, your shit, because like it's just different. It's like, oh, so these heavier bands are finally incorporating these other elements like, ooh, and then, then you got a reaction that has like a million views like that, you know, so. And that's that's also part of the algorithm is just testing those limits for the sake of viewership, but also just expanding upon creativity. So that being said, for me, it's currently 1258 p.m. Um, so we we've been spending a lot of time on the first half um, for sure. And if anything, in this next half, we will be kind of speed running through all of the basic in-person questions. But we will be right back. And we are back. We are back. And I have no idea what number this episode is going to be. But again, this is the Anatomy Podcast hosted by yours truly, Sean Cross, from over on the Sean Cross YouTube channel. Please consider going over there to checking out all the content that we have, including um, our clickbait reactions, our album listening sessions that we try to do every morning except for the weekend because it takes a lot of time, especially depending on how long the album could be. We do vocal covers, or I do vocal covers. Um, I do logo commissions, all this fun stuff. So please, and thank you, be sure to go check that out. Um, consider subscribing. And also, of course, you know, the band of the hour, the band of the session, go check out our Art of Attrition, their new, their newest album, their most recent full-length album, The Void Eternal, is now out with the album stream over on the slam worldwide youtube channel and distributed independently so gentlemen as we are preparing to finalize this session make history for this band and for my channel i would say just for the sake of more insight more uh, personal details about yourselves we now talk about art of attrition as a band. This is basically going to be a questionnaire for everybody to answer. Um, they can have their own responses. But if anything, our objective goal with the time that you guys have will be to get through these questions um, as quickly and efficiently as possible. So starting off, the name, the band name, boys. What ended up decide who ended up deciding on art of attrition? Does it have a meaning? Is there lore behind it? That type of thing. I think we Jack literally just had a list of random band names and song titles ideas yeah. and we just went through it till we found one that was like not that bad. <laughs> it's very long and I'm still adding to the list. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. man. That's badass. So I mean, it was a decision. It was more or less instinct instead of like this is what this means. Huh. But over time, as you guys have established yourself, as you now have a full length record out. And any of the efforts that you've done for this project beforehand, before the Void Eternal, over time, art of attrition, like, you know, the art, the creative medium of attrition, which, of course, my ass is like, oh, I, what does attrition mean? So we're going to Google that real quick, because like that, that's a very, very um, sounds like a smart word. I don't know about you guys. but <laughs> So 
Attrition being the action, a process of gradually reducing the strength or effectiveness of someone or something through sustained attack or pressure. So over time, as you guys have kind of established yourself, <laughs> gotten a full length album out, have you guys ever established like a meaning for yourselves for the band name? I think the music itself is the kind of the epitome of the name, you know, because it's like the music is relentless and it like it throughout it, like our live set, it's always like high intensity, lots of pressure on the crowd. Like it just very, uh, it, it just kind of, it's unison. It makes sense um, to the music we create. So that's kind of a, a good connection to the band, to more or less the music. Yes. Does anybody else have the thoughts or opinions, like their own depiction of the band's name and its its possible headcanon meaning? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, 350 beat per minute blast and kick drums will beat you down over a full-length <laughs> album. You know, our, la our show last night, uh, we had 45 sub drops. <laughs> uh, I, I mean i had more but uh you know i cut it back a bit but yeah like seeing us play or listening to our record it's intense and relentless keeps beating me down so yeah i think the definition makes sense i think it's one of those things that's just we, we picked it because it sounded cool at the time and yeah. it just kind of came into its own like it worked out so i yeah. forgot what it they googled it no, it works, man. And I think among other things too, as a graphic artist myself, someone who's like dipping my toes in the water of what is uh, death metal design or death metal logo design, death core logo design, logo design in general, starting out with chicken scratches in middle school and high school. Um, the logo that you guys had created, uh, the logo cr created by... Alejandro Morales of Imperfect Design. I think it works really well. And amongst other bands with like the the almost identical symmetry that they have in their logos, or for example, the last 10 seconds of life, where it's more or less, it kind of gives you a graffiti vibe, but it it reminds you of the music. It reminds you of that relentless, just non-prejudiced beatdown that is provided. I think Art of Attrition and its logo, it really helps kind of distinguish you guys from other bands. Um, and I mean, shit, if I ever saw that on a roster, I'm like, oh, that's them. Cool. You know, <laughs> so I you think know, I when we got that design back the first time and it was like, that was like a big moment, man, especially because it was like a recognizable name in in logo design. So to kind of see our band name done like that, you know, back in 2020 or whatever, whenever it was, we had that done 2019. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. So, yeah. Shout out to Imperfect. Shout out to Imperfect. And one thing I want to mention too is that it balances perfectly the Deathcore logo trope with something that's more marketable, something that's more legible. Like you can see that it says Art of Attrition. If it if you can't, it's probably because you haven't had the opportunity to dive into any foreign languages. And I mean, either that, because that, that's a that's a big claim. <laughs> so let, let's calm down a little bit. Um, <laughs> mainly me. Um <laughs> Like you, <laughs> if anything, like when I look at the logo, it's like, I think it's also because I'm more passionate about calligraphy, right? 
And, you know, you have all these slam logos, you have all these doom, drudge, sludge, like all of these subgenres. And most of those, like, absolutely, the goal is to be non-readable as possible. So I think what what um, Alejandro ended up doing with the logo was really, really cool. And that's just talking about the logo, okay? So let's go ahead and move on from that. Absolutely, shout out to Imperfect Design, but we got to move on, you know? So if you guys would want to um, also... By the way, mentioning Kaylin Stokerman's involvement in the album cover for The Void Eternal. I was I did not see that coming, but I can definitely tell that it's Kaylin Stokerman's and massive shout out to him because what a great album cover. It's got a really good defining color, right? For the album that being blue. That's why the room's blue right now. I'm like, gotta match the album color. You know <laughs> what I mean? So with that in mind, right? Would you guys be willing to do a track-by-track lyrical summary for the track listing on The Void Eternal before we go ahead and wrap up session? I'm going to get a quick rundown. Cool. So in that in that case, uh, starting with, I mean, The Void Eternal, the title track, what ended up being the creative process behind, like, deciding this is The Void Eternal? Like, what? how did that go? Uh, Johnny came up with the name. It was actually uh, supposed to be the name for uh, Understanding Hate, but just thought it was such a, you know, iconic name and, you know, so uh, made it the intro name instead. Kind of made a, a you know, a, a elemental kind of intro for it and figured, you know, if we're going right. to stick with it, album name, this would be the perfect song to make it now, so. That's yeah, that's badass. And I guess it's been quite some time and I'm noticing it's only eight seconds. So I assume this is an intro. This is more like a an instrumental or something, correct? Yeah. Cool. All right. So with that being said, uh, I mean, yeah. Was there a specific reason behind the Void Eternal being the album's name? Is there any like overlapping theme lyrically with this album that the Void Eternal ties to? It sounded cool. I mean, I album sounded cool. <laughs> right. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Uh, track two, that being Apoplexy. What is this going? Was what, what is lyrically going on here? Uh, it's about being mad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just, yeah, uh, early 20s, having kind of a rough patch. So it kind of uh, dives into that a little bit. And some of the feelings as a result of uh, some of those circumstances and situations. It's kind okay. Of more on cool. Emo side things, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, after all, the definition for apoplexy or apoplexy would be unconscious or incapacity resulting from a cerebral hemorrhage or stroke. That's pretty intense. <laughs> all right. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> We have track three, then the Malthusian catastrophe. That's that's a big name. That's a big name. What's going on here? Yeah, it's uh. So I don't know where I heard that, but I think I was getting lost in the internet, trying to find the end of the internet or something. I was pretty deep, but <laughs> I, I stumbled upon this theorem um, made by this guy called Thomas Malthus back in the eighteen hundreds about how. The world's population would exponentially, yeah, yeah, that one would, <laughs> would grow, but we would run out of space, run out of resources to feed that population. 
So that's kind of what his theorem was. And it's like, that's, that's kind of metal as fuck, actually. You know, it's, it's like, you can kind of see it happening in the modern world right now. So if hit hard, I told Josh, just like, hey, this is a wicked title. What can you do with it? And uh, yeah, he wrote some amazing stuff for it. What's the, what's the opening line? I feel damned. I feel damned. Damn. Yeah. 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 And I it mean, just, just fucking hits you like a frying pan. <laughs> it really does. I do remember that. Like, I don't know. Just, what's up? Just cast iron frying pan. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, like, especially like that's the reason i start with these albums like i start my day with albums like this people and it's so fun it, it helps wake me up a little bit and prepare me for the grueling 10-hour shifts that i do um every weekday like it, it's a great way to start the morning and this was definitely one of those albums that like because i listen to albums every morning it kind of gets lost in the sauce it gets lost in the memory banks but you know the homework's there and i remember loving this album and especially when uh, lyrically, the songs end up alluding to, you know, philosophers and their theories and stuff, their ideologies. That ends up being the reason why Silent Planet is like one of my favorite bands in the world. So shout out to you guys for um, for absolutely uh, uh, killing the at least the references, you know what I mean? And alluding to these actual people and their actual uh, philosophies and stuff. It's really cool. Track four, we have Deep Red. It's on a, a very similar note. Uh, it's more about... Uh the uh the fishing industry and how abusive it is towards uh the oceans that we've got around you know so i grew up on the coast of bc so seen a lot of uh you know a lot of good out of the industries uh but a lot of bad as well so deep red is uh kind of a play on deep blue oh i the like blue that. Is red. <laughs> yeah and i mean after all like when you think of um when you think of uh incidents and stuff right with oil rigs or something or just like chemical spill sometimes the shores would wash deep red because of the oil you know what i mean so i mean that that works pretty well as far as applying it to um the 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 cons of like major corporations and stuff and um what could be their intentional mishaps that complicate uh world progression as we understand it today um track five we have under the weight of apathy what is going on here that was the first song that we did together as a group i think that was the song that i sent i did kind of like a demo track and i kind of just was like let's write something kind of moody and depressing with like there was no like because apoplex all the other songs i feel like very personally like uh relate to but this was a little bit more of like let's just uh dream something up that's not like we'll fabricate something here yes. and then so they heard it and they obviously like i said previously didn't hate it that much <laughs> they, uh, it for acceptable and then i just stuck as one of the songs and i was like oh these lyrics are actually like they're good so it's very different for me to write something that i am not you know at all like it's not something of like pertaining to a specific point of my life or a certain emotion or something I feel passionately about is very much just like let's just throw some shit together and make it work and it went really really well so fantastic should... dude 
<laughs> yeah. And you said that when it came to writing this track, this was the first track. This was like kind of the pitch is like, hey, I am serious about being a vocalist and I'd love to participate in your project. Um, You said you ended up sending the demos for like the, the, the vocal work for this, right? Or did they send you the instrumentals, you put the vocals on and then you sent it back? Yeah, that's what happened. So they sent me the tracks, uh, the kind of scratch track type thing. Um, I believe we had, there's like four at the start. I can't remember all the working titles and what ones it was, but uh, uh, Under the Weight of Apathy was the very first one. Like, what, what was the uh, the name of that? Was there... Something Awesome. Yeah, Something <laughs> Awesome. <That's> what... <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. No, it's really cool. And like to see, you know, that type of work, your your debut efforts really with this band. Um, come into fruition and at least get you know placed halfway into the album that's really cool that's a good touch um made a music video about as well oh shit okay i mean i i gotta check that out then yeah yeah (laughs) exciting to watch (laughs) sweet then after that we have track six understanding hate yeah, that's a that's a bit more of a doozy. I, I really love that song. Just like like we talked about earlier, just how relentless the music is. Like that song just from end to end is just like just beats the shit out of you. Like it's just it's just one, two, three, four, and it's just you're gone for four, four and a half minutes, however long it is. Right. Um that song is a little bit about uh I got bullied a bit growing up. Um, so it's a little bit of like empathizing with uh some people kind of standing up for themselves and understanding the hatred behind like prejudices and stuff. And like, just kind of acknowledging that and, you know, just bringing awareness to it. That's very important because I mean, most of us here in session, you know, we were, we were kind of oppressed for a little bit by people who just didn't understand what we were participating in. So that's always good. Um, Track seven, we have hunt. Yeah. That one had a cool working title. Oh yeah, it was the uh, working title was called Chong. Ooh, wait, once okay, okay, now you guys are back. It was it was like very quiet for a second. Sorry. Oh, uh, the working title for Hunt was called Chonk. Uh, it seems to be blocking out again. I'm not sure what's going on. It's like getting really. I can hear you guys better now, but I think it it's going to depart again here pretty soon. Oh boy. Ah, okay. Uh, I can, yeah, I can hear you guys better now. You may continue. Sorry. Okay. I think you're asking a uh, working title for that. Ah, damn it. Yeah, I don't know what's happening, boys. The sound seems to be um going low on you guys' end, except for like when Greg <laughs> decides to go. Ah, I'm not sure what's going on. The working title was called Chonk. I can't hear you guys at all now. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> he starts doing sign language. Oh, <laughs> <He's like, laughs> uh, I yeah, I don't know what's going on. Um, let's see. I'm gonna. We can hear you. Okay. Yeah. Say something. Okay. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hi. Okay. Hey, this the volume's back now. Okay. I think. Nisho Jongwema. What? <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're talking about Hunt. <laughs> it was called uh, Chonk. 
Because that's a chonky riff. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And that one is also kind of similar. So the whole kind of the motif for the song is uh, "Dog Will Hunt," and it's uh, so we all, I guess, yeah, we all kind of work in construction. I guess Greg uh, got a tattoo shop now, but he was a pipeliner for a while. Uh, Jack's an instrumentation tech. I'm a welder, and you're a mechanic rater, auto body tech. Um, so uh, kind of dives into a bit of the bit of the predatory nature of uh, some companies, especially in oil and gas. Um, so kind of similar to understanding hate. It's kind of angry, kind of punky, kind of chonky. <laughs> Sick. Yeah. Bring in more awareness during the album. I, I really do. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Track eight. We have the hive inside. What's going on with this? It sounds like a horror movie pitch. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I think this one, this one's about addiction, not, not, uh, personal, um, more, I grew up in a very small town and, uh, as some more industrial activity has came through the town, it's kind of gone from, uh, you know, just a standard drunkenness in parks and stuff to, uh, needles showing up and things that have been out of control, but. Uh, trying to be understanding of the, the struggles that a lot of people go through with that and uh, how difficult it, it can be to pull pull out of it, especially when uh, you slide down that path. It seems like the world just turns more and more against you. So, yeah. So that, that's the hive inside. It's kind of taking, taking control of the situation to uh, feed the addiction and uh, taking over the body, so to speak. Right. Uh, really haunting, really haunting, lyrically speaking, because that like with that context in mind, um, yeah, addiction is a terrible thing. I've known a couple people who have gotten addicted to certain substances out of just like, I don't know, just depression and stuff. They're trying to look for an escape. And that's the only way they feel is the escape is just getting hooked to a substance and relying on that substance, looking for that band aid, looking for that temporary solution. Um so it's definitely important to bring awareness to that. Track nine, to conclude the record, we have To Dance in the Den of the Snakes, which I like that title. I really do. We do too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, and we got uh, shirts about it. Greg made up, uh, or did you make it or we commissioned that? We commissioned Okay. Oh, we shit. The audio seems to be cutting out again, boys. Sorry. I can only hear you slightly in my left ear. Hello. I don't know what the why the hell that's happening. That's annoying. It looks like we're connected now. Nah, yeah. it's still really quiet. Ah, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> uh, I wonder what's going on on you guys' end, or maybe it's me. I don't think so, but yeah, I don't know. We we see that you have full bars, and then we oh. have full. Okay, oh. I'm hearing better now. You think that's on purpose? Oh, cool. uh, yeah. Can you, you hear are... us now? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, to dance in the den of snakes. Oh, yeah. Uh, I got fired from a job. <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of like, fuck you guys. You're a bunch of snakes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so that was kind of a bit of a, I used to be a bit of a workaholic. 
Um, that's actually why I, partially why I went from Prince George Edmonton in the first place, because I was working too much and I had an opportunity to do more music stuff. So I was like, okay, I can dial back the work shit a bit and get uh, a healthy lifestyle on track here with a little bit more time for the important stuff that is art and whatnot. Right. Um, so to dance in the den of snakes was kind of about that, uh, exiting that a little bit and making more space and time for, like I said, the, the important things. Yes, exactly. Like What's learning the, to uh, learning that devoting to companies and devoting to corporate anything really like as much as some people do i mean i'm guilty of it too with the with the 50 hours a week and shit um it's uh it's hard to break away from that when you know that's what you need to depend on sometimes but then once you take that final leap once you're in legitimately a good position to do so you can afford to do so that's when you really like free yourself from you know your normal nine to five your average nine to five like wherever in the world you may be but it's important to always recognize that you know you got to be prepared financially and emotionally, psychologically for like everything that could happen, but also don't base the future off of what ifs, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that will be under the skin of the void eternal. Thank you gentlemen for uh, your time here on the anatomy podcast, whatever number episode it ends up being um, before we go ahead and wrap up session. Cause I know we've far proceeded uh, an hour session by now and I'll do apologies for that. Um, is there anything you guys wanted to plug or shout out before we go ahead and session? Uh, just thank you to everyone that supported us this far and um, everybody we've worked with and everyone that listens to the music without everybody, you know, listening and working with us this can't happen and yeah so we just appreciate you know everybody that uh has helped us this far badass and i think that will wrap up session unless any of you other boys wanted to want to say wanted to say something i'm stuttering jesus thanks for having us yeah, thanks, yeah. Man. thank you absolutely thank you guys for again going on the adventure that you did just to get to the casting couch and conducting the session because <laughs> i know weather is asked right now farther north than what i am so um, shout out to the boys in Art of Attrition, that being Greg, Josh, Jack, and Johnny. And we will see you guys next time. Who fucking knows what the band is going to be? Um, we have plenty of artists in lineup, but things fall through sometimes. So we'll see what happens. And otherwise, we will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening.